You are listening to the podcast Being Donor Conceived Stories from Children and Parents. My name is Sabrina. I'm your host. In this, our fourth and final episode, we look at what it's like to grow up donor conceived and what it's like to have a donor conceived teenager in the house. And that is what the teenager can tap into. And that is what we feel when they come with sentences like, you are not my father. It's not because she's a donor child. She still can't stay up all night or things like that. But that has nothing to do with being a donor child. I realized that I wanted to have the opportunity to know where I come from and I had no information. It might sound silly, but one of the first things I worried about once my husband and I decided to have a donor-conceived family was what a donor-conceived teenager would do and say. I wondered, how would Christopher react to an angry adolescent? One of the things that I thought about very early on was how you were going to react to having a donor-conceived teenager. You know, what if she some days, you know, get really angry and she yells at you, you're not even my real dad. How would you react to that? There are two sides to that story. If you asked me three years ago, before Meeting was born, then that would be my... I would have nightmares about that. It's basically the most horrible thing I could imagine. And why, why is that? Because the the dad thing, it means something special. And for her to throw me out with the bathwater like that, that would just, in some way, that uh, felt like uh, she would say no to me as a father. Or at least that's what I thought three years ago. But now I would just realize that's just part of a tantrum. <laughs> you call it a tantrum when it's for teenagers? I think you can call it a teenage tantrum, yeah. Now, fearing that at the beginning, do you think that was because of the, the lack of genetics or biology? Yes. And it was because I was very insecure in my role as a parent. And uh, that is exactly what has changed now that I have met and she's been with us for three years. There's no doubt anywhere in my heart that I'm her father, no matter what she does, no matter what she says. And throwing a teenage tantrum <laughs> won't change that. In the very beginning of our journey to parenthood, Biology was a soft spot for Christopher. If there's one thing teenagers know how to do, it's to hit those soft spots. So of course I worried. Psychologist Lisa Kammer did, however, tell me there was nothing to worry about, but that I should prepare myself. Well, they most likely will yell, you're not my father, and even you're not my mother, because they are full of separating themes when they become teenagers. 
So finding out who am I separated from you is a theme for every teenager, donor conceived or not. And for every parent's hearing you're not my father or you're not my mother is very hurtful. We have put so much effort into it, put so much love and thoughts and feelings and everything into being a good parent. And then the teenager puts up that mirror in front of us. So what makes it even worse in donor families is that we know there's not that biological connection. But what we should say to the teenager is exactly the same as in any other family. And that could be something like, and we should find the words that fits us, but something like, yes, you are my child. And I see how angry, sad, frustrated, etc., whatever it is, you are with me right now. I'm not sure I know why, but let's talk about it. And if you don't want to talk about it now, that's fine, but I very much like to hear you because I would like to understand what it is you're full of. And I am your father. Something like that, emphasizing the love and the caring, and it should be set in a loving and caring tone as well. Conflicts are unavoidable with teenagers, donor-conceived or not. But just because your child is donor-conceived does not mean that their conception would be the main focus of those healthy teenage tantrums. Solo mom Nina from Denmark did at least not notice anything like that in her teenage daughter. Nothing related to this, uh, to, to being a donor child, at least. There's lots of teenage bravala and everything right now, but that's just normal. Sometimes it can be hard because you don't have another parent to assure you that you're doing the right thing. We argue a bit, my daughter and I, not a lot. It's not at all problematic, but it's still, it, it's still there. And uh, I have things that I want her to not do that she really wants, but it's completely normal. It's not because she's a donor child. She still can't stay up all night or things like that. But that has nothing to do with being a donor child. She's a teenager like anyone else trying to figure out who she is. And uh, it's difficult because it is difficult to be a teenager, especially in these years where there is so much identity stuff to, to, uh, to have an opinion about. When I was her age, I did not have to reflect on what gender I was. And I didn't have to reflect on what gender my friends were. And um, there were so many things that were a given. And um, she spends a lot of time reflecting on climate change, worrying about everything in the world. And it's very tough. But um, it has nothing to do with being a donor child. It's just teenage stuff. There are so many things to worry about being a teenager today. Being donor-conceived might very well be the least of their problems. Speaking not only with Nina, but also with several donor-conceived adults, made one thing very clear to me. If we, the parents, openly share the conception story of our family, a lot of arguments can't be avoided. At least if we add a lot of love 
and some clarifications. I asked Nita from Denmark what it was like to grow up knowing she was donor-conceived. In the beginning, uh, I actually thought it was pretty cool. I remember thinking, oh, I've been frozen before I was born. That's pretty cool. Uh, none of my friends have tried that, but I have. <laughs> um, and I also thought that I was the most wonder child in the world. Um, so in the beginning, I really liked the thought of being donor-conceived. And then there's different events that have affected this. So at the age of 12, I think, uh, I remember sitting in my room And I was listening to the radio um, and sometimes the news comes on the radio, right? And I usually never paid any attention to it. But this day they were actually talking about donor conception and the possibility of Denmark having uh, open donors. And I remember going to the uh, kiosk later that day and I was so angry. And back then I didn't have the words uh, to explain why I was angry, but now looking back at it, I was I was probably a bit jealous, to be honest, because I realized that I wanted to have the opportunity to know where I come from, and I had no information. Um, back then, I didn't even have a, a donor number, actually. And so that's when I thought, oh, there's some aspect of it that I maybe don't like as much. When I, when I was a child, I, I did look at different men and to see if we had any similarities like But at the supermarket or when when did you just around uh, where where I went um, but back then I didn't think of it necessarily as a want or need to know uh, who my donor was but I but I do remember this specific moment of listening to to the radio and that must have been the first time that I felt this want or need to know where I come from And then I also remember later on when I think I might have been in eighth grade, I had a conversation with a friend and I, and I told her that I was the most wonder child because I was donor conceived. And she said to me, well, not, that's not quite true, is it? Because her parents wanted her. And so that's when I realized that I am wanted obviously, but I might not be the most wanted child in the world because every parent, almost every parent, want to have their child. And so that I have different events of my life that has kind of altered the experience a bit and the way I think about it. Nada went from being proud of being frozen as an embryo to learning that she was not that special after all. Growing up is hard. I was curious, talking to the adult Nader, what she thinks about being donor-conceived today. Um, I don't mind being donor-conceived at all. I mean, it's it's not that it's a bad thing at all, and it's not that I have suffered in any way, but I do wish I knew something about my donor. And so in that way, I do think I'm a bit critical uh, in some aspects. I had to ask, did it change Nita's relationship with her family in any way, these different stages she went through? Not a lot. Both of my parents, they have always been honest and very supportive. I can only say it may have changed for the better. 
because they they support me and they understand my feelings and they they actually agree with a lot of my my points and so we talk very openly about it so yeah so it may have just changed for the better while Nada's parents were open from early on things change as you grow older for Nada it meant that some hard feelings were building up in her at some point i was a bit afraid to tell my father that i wanted to know who the donor was um simply because i was afraid to hurt him um and it's not because he, he had expressed that he would be hurt because he hadn't and so we sat down one day um my parents were divorced at this point we we sat down in my mother's apartment and he came over and i told him and he he said Okay, that's fine. And my mother told me that she looked at me in that moment and she could see the relief in me. And so he has always been okay with it. Loving someone also means protecting them. Talking to Nate made me see that even children feel that way. We as parents have a special obligation to let them know as early and as often as possible that whatever they need or want we are there for them talking to Nate about these things i got curious did her donor conception change anything about the way she views herself today well i don't think it has changed the way i view myself necessarily um but it is definitely a part of me and a part of my identity and who i am And so maybe you can say it has changed because you know my view has changed a bit throughout my life. It has influenced my identity in different ways. So back when I I thought it was cool, you know, this is a cool part of me and and now I'm more political aware of it now. I work um voluntarily. And so because of that it has become a part of me in a different way. Yeah, maybe you could tell us a bit about that politically or what is it you're critical about? I'm critical about the fact that uh, it's not up to the donor conceived person to decide whether or not they want the information. To me it's important that it's it's the donor conceived person who has the choice. You know, this uh, whole donor conceived community, there's a lot of different feelings and a lot of different dilemmas and I don't think you can ever have a system that makes every single person happy. I don't think that's possible unfortunately. Uh and so to me having only donor uh, open donors is a way to meet most people because sperm banks and clinics can still help people. Um donors can still donate and parents can still become parents and uh donor can see people those who do want uh, information about the donor have the possibility while those who do not want information have the possibility of keeping the donor anonymous being donor conceived went from being a cool part of Nate's childhood to foster a political awareness in her adult life that i for one can only admire and things have changed for donor conceived people in denmark where nida and i live the parents can decide whether they choose a donor with or without id release But back when Nate was conceived, there were laws in place taking that choice away from the parents and their children. 
laws on donor conception still differ today depending on the country. We also have to remember that Nida is from a generation that had very little or no information about their donors, where most people today get a large file, ID release or not. Nida has a very happy connection to her parents. But that's, of course, not the case for all donor-conceived people. I also talked to Lerge from Denmark, who is roughly the same age as Nida and who is also conceived with the use of an anonymous donor. Her connection to her father was a bit more complicated. I sometimes was confused about me. I wasn't feeling that, okay, me and my dad are totally alike or uh, I look like him. And then I maybe used the lack of biological uh, connection as some sort of excuse for, oh, but that's why. So that's why you disagree with him in, in this matter. Or in my teenage years, I might distance myself actually partly because of that. In many ways, Laga's story speaks to a common fear for parents. I've had it too. The fear that my daughter will one day distance herself from her father because of her donor conception. I know that there are nuances to Laga's story and I shouldn't transfer her experience directly to my own daughter. And yet, it hits me. Speaking of nuances, before I continue with Lage's story, I think her family needs a bit of a recap. Lage has a mom and a dad, but since they divorced when she was quite little, she also has a stepdad who she spends a lot of time with, what we in Denmark refer to as a bonus dad. In addition, Lage's dad passed away when she was quite young. On one hand, Lage has three dads, That's at least how she expresses it. But on the other hand, she only has one dad present in her life. The thing that has been a big challenge for me when my, my dad passed away was that his role in my life wasn't that clear as I imagine. So it was hard for me to like figure out, okay, who is this person I've, I've lost? Because he's my dad, but... He's not the same kind of dad as my stepdad. It's a different kind of dad. And I attended in, in a group. Um, and the other people that were in this group who also lost a parent, uh, some of them, it was very clear to them who, who did I lose. And for me, it was more blurry. We all had to like tell our story. And to me, it was just so complex because I had three dads. One of them passed away. But I also have a stepdad and I also have some kind of a biological heritage somewhere. Donor conception can make the life of our growing children even more complex. This is worth remembering once life hits you, whether it's with divorce, the loss of a loved one, or something completely different. While Laga's story differs quite a lot from Nita's, they do have one thing in common. They both grew up feeling special. Maybe getting to know about the, the donor, maybe it contributed to the understanding that I was kind of special. Lerke felt special. But she also needed one thing in particular from her parents, maybe due to her complex situation. She wanted 
or needed a clarification. It could have been nice to talk about what constitutes a father and what is my father, who is he, and what about my stepdad, who is he, and what are their roles and how are they alike and how are they different from each other. For me, it it is more about a conversation about parents and in that also a conversation about DNA or biological relations. Regardless of what kind of complexity my family evolves into, I hope to give my daughter the room to critique that Nate got and the clarification that Lerke needed. Still, I felt like I needed more, so I went back to Lisa Kama. In addition to being a family psychologist, she has donor-conceived teenage kids herself. Maybe she had some advice for upcoming teen moms like myself. What we could put in interest in is what is it that the teenager or child in general, but here teenager, what is it that he or her is frustrated, sad, angry about? And then we really should switch on the right is because what they tell us, there's always some truth to it. And when a teenager who is donor-conceived says, you are not my father, it just taps into that old, old story of having difficulties with creating a child of your own and how much hurt and grief that was. And that is what teenagers tend to kind of put a great red line underneath all the things that we could be sorry about, that we could be filled with grief for us. And that is what the teenager can tap into. And that is what we feel when they come with sentences like, you are not my father. A few things seem clear. We need to be prepared to listen and to fall from the pedestal. But that's advice for us, the parents. What about the donor-conceived teenagers out there? Lerke gave it a shot by reflecting on what she would have loved to tell her own younger self. That's actually quite interesting because I don't think I would advise my child self anything, but I would definitely advise my teenage self uh, something. And, and that is don't let the, the biological non-relation be a reason why you distance yourself from your parent, uh, let it be something else, because I don't think it's a valid reason. And I think I, or that might be because my, my dad passed away, but I think um, I kind of regret it because it's some, it's, it's some kind of uh, degrading my dad because we don't have the biological relation. And that's not fair, I think. You can be mad and you can distance yourself from your parents from a lot of reasons, but not because you are or aren't uh, biologically related. To me, it's, uh, it's important to highlight the fact that parents are parents not because of their biological material or DNA, but because of their actions and their care and the decision about getting a child and becoming parents together. 
Christopher and I will do our very best to make sure that our daughter always knows just how dedicated to her we are, shared DNA or not. But maybe it wouldn't hurt to play her Lagis advice when she hits puberty. That's it. That was our final episode. And what have we learned? Well, what I have learned as a parent in a donor-conceived family is actually very simple. Be open. Listen to your kid. Follow their lead. And be the bigger person if your kid one day gets mad or sad about the choices you made. From what I have heard in these interviews, if we do this right... Our openness will only strengthen our bond with our children. But I'm talking as a parent. I want to close this podcast by giving Nate the mic to talk to anyone listening who might be donor-conceived. Don't tell anybody that their feelings are wrong. Let's learn from each other, first and foremost. I think that's my top advice. Also talk to your parents about being donor-conceived, if you're able to do that. Because again, the openness has to go both ways. And if your parents are not open in the beginning, maybe if you're old enough to have that responsibility and to to do that and to feel comfortable with that, I'd definitely say try. Whoever you are listening, I sincerely hope that this podcast has made you feel heard, seen and helped. Making it definitely help me and my family. You have listened to the podcast Being Donor Conceived Stories from Children and Parents. I'm your host, Sabrina Bitting-Seerup, and my producer is Annette Hellström. We want to thank our sponsor, European Sperm Bank, and if you want to know more about being a donor-conceived family, I highly recommend going to European Sperm Bank's blog. They have tons of interviews and other resources to check out. I want to end by sending a big thanks to all the lovely people sharing their stories and knowledge with us in these episodes. This podcast would have never existed without them. Or you, our listeners. Our listeners.